Welcome to AV Plus, the podcast from Commercial Integrator. I'm Adam Forziati, the web editor for CI. So September and October have come and gone, and if you have kids at school, they're likely already thinking about winter break. And basically, we're all mentally slowing down a little bit as the season of finding comfort in the cold readily approaches. But this is no time to slack at work, especially not if you're an integration company that works with schools. We think that schools are one of the most rapidly changing markets in the AV industry right now, and it follows that integrators should be thinking more about how to better serve the education sector. On this monthly feature episode of AV Plus, we'll hear from someone who has a lot of experience in that sector and has some big ideas about how to approach the market. For the monthly news roundup with editors Tom and Craig, we'll hear a new take on the classic integrator issues surrounding IT folks, And we'll also hear from Craig about a company that does business in a way that would shock many CEOs. But first, a little housekeeping. You can learn more about AV Plus online at commercialintegrator.com slash podcast and on Twitter by searching the hashtag AV Plus pod. That's A-V-P-L-U-S pod. We'd appreciate it so much if you could take a moment, too, to hit subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It really helps reach more AV pros trying to find quality podcasts. Okay, back to the show. Okay, for news this month, we wanted to highlight something. It's a topic that we talk about pretty often here at CI, and that is talking to IT directors. Now, Tom, you were just at an event uh, where that kind of came up in the conversation, but in, in a specific angle, more related to cybersecurity. Could you tell us about what you learned? Yeah, so I was at NSCA's Pivot to Profit, which was in Atlanta this year. It was a great event, by the way. And, you know, I think the way the event was conceived was, you know, Pivot to Profit, you know, pivot away from, you know, the kind of product and project margin-based revenue models that most integration firms work under and more toward like a managed services or recurring revenue model. And it has evolved, the event has evolved to include, you know, like other things, like things that are really important to the variables involved with that transition. So one of the variables is that integrators are selling more to IT directors, right? And IT directors are more apt to want to invest in this type of, you know, managed services relationship with a technology provider. Here's the problem. IT directors are also really concerned about cybersecurity. It's probably rightfully the most important thing to them in regards to, you know, their jobs and, you know, protecting their networks. So during Pivot to Profit, Rob Simopoulos, who has, um, you know, people know him as uh, an integrator. He's been in the industry for a while, but, you know, recently he transitioned to uh, founding a company called Defendify, which is basically a cybersecurity provider. And he did a presentation at Pivot to Profit in which he kind of, you know, he kind of talked about mistakes that a lot of companies make when it comes to cybersecurity. And it occurred to me, if all the folks in the room really want to work with IT directors, some of the things that Rob is saying should be taken to heart because they're exposing their vulnerability when it comes to cybersecurity. In their digital interactions with IT directors, they're giving IT directors a reason not to work with them. So, you know, little things. It's not just about like, you know, responding to an email from, you know, like the young prince from Nigeria who, you know, needs some (laughs) money. It's also about like in normal interactions, not taking precautions that an IT director would want to see you take, like making sure it is indeed them that's you're interacting with. 
an IT director would love to have you respond and say like, hey, before I click on that link, this is you, right? Can you tell me where we went to lunch that time? You know, they want, they want to see that you care mm-hmm. about exposing that information. And that's going to make them more comfortable with a vendor that might be working on their network. So I love that session. I thought it was really valuable for the industry. Yeah. But, you know, previously we've only talked about like conversations, like physical in-person conversations and cues that you can take to better those conversations with IT directors. But most critical to IT professionals is how people communicate you know, online and, and how to, how they share information online. So it bears, you know, repeating that we ought to be very careful with how we communicate to everybody online, especially if we're trying to make a good impression on somebody whose job it is to monitor the network. Absolutely. And if you're an integrator who's in a sales position, you know, you're, you have a different priorities when it comes to responding. Like you want to respond quickly. You want to give them the information that they need. But in doing so, you might be forgetting about the thing that's most important to the person that you're communicating with, which is the protection of their network. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about news in the, uh, in the industry, you know, we write a lot of stories on CI and, you know, most of the time we enjoy writing those. But unfortunately, we also wrote one recently. You did, Craig about the passing of a very uh, beloved member of the digital signage industry. Now, it's Digital Signage Week going on right now, so we, we, we think that this is probably at the forefront of many people's minds. But, uh, Craig, what is what is the story that you wrote about? And um, tell us about Lyle. Yeah, so we, we lost uh, Lyle Bunn. He was uh, actually an original member, the original member of the Digital Signage Federation when, when that launched. Um, he was a, the original member of that. So he's he's had kind of a long history in the digital signage uh, space and and in that industry and certainly uh, had quite a bit of influence on, on some of the uh, the innovations in that space. And, and I can't help but think that some of what's going on in, in New York this week at uh, Digital Signage Week probably is a reflection of some of his his thoughts or, or actions in in that in that industry and in that space. Look, every integration company is different, but the ET Group out of Toronto, Canada, is really different. Here's Craig and I talking about a profile he just published about how ET Group CEO isn't your typical CEO, and just how the company operates in a generally different way than most integration firms. So Craig, uh, you just wrote up a story about a really different company, uh, ET Group, and something that Tom, our editor-in-chief, kind of clued me in on is that when you first approached him with the idea to write this story, uh, he almost liked the concept that you pitched him better than when you felt like going into more detail about what they do, just because of how different the concept is there. What is ET Group's whole shtick right now, and how did they get there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a shtick, but I think it's just a unique approach to business where they they have somebody who's in the role of a CEO. They have a chief technology officer, that sort of thing. They have you know the traditional titles, but they don't function necessarily that way. Everyone in the company does. There's, there's about forty full time employees, and and everyone who's in the company has basically an equal say. They can make major decisions. Wait, wait. So it's not like a top down thing. It isn't. It isn't. There. It's called self management. It's it's a uh, structure that the CEO learned about in in a uh, a retreat, a business retreat, and 
brought back to the company and said that he he wanted to operate the, the company that way and that was what his his plan was going to be that was about two years ago one of the employees uh, recently went through what they call the advice process and basically talked to everyone in the company and was able to improve the company-wide benefits package that you know the health insurance and, and that sort of thing um, and the CEO was barely involved in, in that decision at all. He said when when they bought a new truck, he wasn't involved in the decision even for a second because it didn't directly affect him. Right. That's what I read in your story is that their concept is that, yeah, it's, it's not like there's no oversight at all, right? It's not like everybody's just making calls left and right. It's that when you make a call in that company, when you make a decision, you are checking and weighing your decision against everybody who could be reasonably involved with right. the outcome of that decision. Right. And, and you're ultimately responsible for it. Obviously, if the decision doesn't work out the way that you think it's going to work out, then you you maybe won't be around the company for very much longer. But the, the way the CEO, Dirk, uh, described it to me is, you know, people don't get involved in, in that sort of endeavor unless it's something they really care about and, and obviously are willing to put in the time to research and, and find out if, if it's a valuable thing for the company. So, so you would think that that would be kind of a low risk environment then, right? Like, is it is it that scary? Or I mean, like, what has he reported the uh, response to that kind of uh, responsibility has been? Yeah, I, I think he said everyone who wants to, to make a, a change or, you know, do something a little bit different in, in the company, you know, kind of is, is willing to, to step forward. There doesn't seem to be a lot of fear. And, you know, it, it, it has to obviously be something that you, you really care about. One, one other kind of unique aspect of the company that, that I thought was, was pretty interesting is um, after you're with the company for a year, you name your own salary. So, uh, you know, obviously that, that kind of lends itself to, you know, to jokes and, and things like that. And I'm, I'm sure there's some level of restriction on it, but the, the way it was explained to me is you, you name your own salary. So it's definitely different. Um, it seems to be working um, since since they adopted this um, approach within the last year. They've, they've grown about 20% in, in revenues. I don't know that there's a necessarily direct link, but the, the, it's a company that, that's on the rise and, and certainly starting to get some, some more on some, some unique projects. In terms of how that kind of very specific, very different business structure could impact an AV business, where do you think you see, I, I don't want to use such like a random like corporate term like synergies, but like where do you see such a different approach to doing business actually streamlining an AV kind of business? Yeah, um, I, I've been kind of thinking about that. And, and I think it's not that different than something called an employee stock ownership program where uh, employee stock ownership plan, sorry. Um, where every person who works for the company is also an owner in the company and has stock in the company. That this is not quite that because you know the, there's only certain stockholders. Although it, it seems to be heading in that direction, and, and Dirk uh, did mention that that might be the next step for for ET Group. So you know they, I guess in in that company they have accountability without the the ownership part of it. But but I, I do think it's heading in that direction. On the one hand, yes, it puts a little bit of maybe initial hesitation in any random employee's mind because it's like, okay, well, the, the decisions that I'm making all of a sudden mean a lot more now. I don't have like a first or second level manager over my head that, you know, can kind of cover my own discrepancies up. I can understand being nervous in that kind of position. But at the same time, I guess it also quickens operations to a certain extent, really streamlines, okay, like getting the truck, right? Like something like that might have taken forever. 
if if you had to run it by first, second, third level managers, then the CEO, et cetera, board of trustees, if there's that kind of company, you know, et cetera. There are many different uh, levels to go by under that more traditional structure. But under this structure, hey, you ran it by your immediate team who's going to be impacted. Everybody agrees on something. Boom, it happens. That's a pretty interesting way to run business. And uh, I guess we'll definitely want to keep our eye open for you to hound more companies who uh, who run their business a little bit differently. Absolutely. So we're about to drop this download that we think anyone who deals in the education market might be interested in, and it couldn't have been written by a better author. Alan Braun, our friend over at Braun Consulting and a regular columnist on CI, has taught the integration industry community for about 35 years. I was talking to Alan the other day, and he told me about some pretty astonishing figures that he read about that morning. Now, anyone who knows Alan knows he loves to learn, so I wasn't surprised when he told me this. Uh, so I got up really early uh, and, and I started looking at some things and I thought, well, I wonder from an educational point of view, I wonder exactly where we fit, where the United States fits in terms of our ranking uh, of, of educational systems and programs throughout the world. So the latest data, so uh, the top 40 educational systems in the world, when you take into consideration um, the educational system overall, the way they learn, and then reading math and science. I, I found this fascinating. So the, the top four, five, or six are South Korea, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, Finland, the United Kingdom, and Canada, would just to name a few. Okay, but where does the U.S. stand? I was a little nervous to ask, and he told me that I should be. We're at number 14. Yeesh, that's pretty rough. But then Alan got more personal. He asked, Where do you think the best countries are to raise children? Top five are Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Canada. And and let me give you a hint, all of our listeners, the United States is nowhere near the top 10. So I thought, boy, that's an interesting data point. And then I finished my, my kind of data points with the top 10 countries with the fastest internet speeds in the world. Oh, come on now, Alan, spare us. Check this one out. South Korea, Ireland, Hong Kong, Sweden the Netherlands, Japan, Switzerland, Norway, you're not going to believe this one, folks, Latvia, yes, Latvia, and Finland. The United States is number 20. So then, of course, being a researcher, it I, I immediately started to cross-reference the top 40 educational systems, the top 10 countries with the fastest internet speeds, and the top 10 countries to raise your, your children and wow, the synergy uh, and, and, and all of it in, in all of those things just literally added more food uh, and fodder to the concept that technology in education is certainly important. And these numbers um, uh, lend credence to that, uh, to that uh, allegation. I'm still recovering from the concept that Latvia, a country just a little larger than my home state of Massachusetts, has higher internet speeds than us. But why is Alan uppity about this? Well, in his presentation that he created for our download on technology and education, he had to dredge up a lot of his past experiences hearing the old point-counterpoint on whether having tech in the classroom is even a good thing. The point that some make is that technology in class is truly a a distraction. It's disruptive. Uh, It takes the teacher off of their game plan. That's, That's the point. And then the counterpoint is that technology actually facilitates teaching and learning. 
And the truth of the matter is I, I found some statistics and some data that totally supports the counterpoint. But Alan isn't trying to dismiss the original point that technology in a classroom can be distracting. If some handheld flat spinning thing is enough to distract a child from a lesson, imagine what a phone can do. He says the key, though, is to respect the fact that different people, whether it's a generational thing or not, learn to accept and use technology at different rates. The benefits far outweigh the negatives uh, when we take a look at what technology can bring to the classroom. And so this has to be an evolution. And our job at, in the commercial integration industry is to make um, uh, educators comfortable uh, to, to teach uh, educators at different levels, at their levels, uh, so that they become comfortable. If it's whether it's a, a younger person who's grown up with technology or it's somebody who doesn't even know how to spell the word Facebook uh, or Google, uh, we have to deal with people. And, and the sooner we recognize that, the more effective we're going to be uh, at, at making technology uh, interoperable in all of our educational environments and not just a, a, a few people who are who, who quote unquote get it. So in his typical teacher fashion, Alan left me with a little formula for success in classroom technology. Take interpersonal skills, thoughtful educators, deliberate programs, and add to that technology, and that's going to equal success. And if we can do that over the next four or five years, we're not going to be at number 14 in educational systems. We are going to be in the top 10 of best places to raise your kids, and we are going to be in the top 10 in terms of internet speeds. If we make technology part of our lives at school the same way we make it part of our lives at home, that's an equation for success. So we have this really cool download where Alan really lets loose on this topic in the form of an informative slideshow. I really recommend that if you have any projects in a school environment, that you check it out. It's called Higher Education in a World of Change, and you can find that download and plenty of other Alan Braun pieces at commercialintegrator.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of AV+. That's it for this month's special monthly feature episode. You can hear us next week. Till then... 